coming up this hour. We're going to talk about uh, the enjoyment some people are having working from home. And then how do we begin to plan for the fall? That's coming up here on The Common Good. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, As always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, On Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. And find our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review. Mr. Simpkins, uh, how are you today after, I don't know, what that felt like, uh, 40 days and 40 nights of rain over the last couple days? How are you doing today? Just to be clear, we're not reviewing Ian Simpkins. I felt like that was that really bled into each other, and I want to make sure. <laughs> Subscribe, rate, review Ian Simpkins. Ian Simpkins. No, 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 no. Please, I'm not ready for that. My Enneagram <laughs> 3 can't handle that. I'm not prepared for that kind of scrutiny. <laughs> if you would like to do that on the podcast, go right ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, this is Ian's last show. <laughs> we start getting reviews. People go, oh, okay, okay. Oh, that's how you feel. Yes, yes, so. Uh, yeah, it did feel like uh, all sorts of rain last night, but it's finally stopping. Uh, got some good weather coming. Again, that's your common good uh, weather forecast. And, did I ever uh, tell you about the uh, the oldies station in Detroit, Michigan, that nope. told the weather via the weather monks? No. I never told you this. I, it was one of no. my favorite segments as a kid. They're like, all right, now to, now to learn the weather for today, we'll go to the weather monks. And it was like a chorus of, uh, of men going, Today will be cloudy. <laughs> and I'll be like, all right, well, what's tomorrow going to look like? Tomorrow will be sunny. <laughs> Amen. I thought that was so funny. That's awesome. And what we just learned is is that uh, you sing Monk very well. That's a good oh, job. Thank you. Well, it depends on if you're Greg or Ian, but chants are kind of my thing. So. <laughs> Greg. Gregorian? I got it. Greg- Gregorian? All right. Yeah, Gregorian, I got it. I got yeah, it. Good, good night, everybody. <laughs> We're off to a quick start today. <laughs> quick, but not good. Yeah. Uh, later on in the show, we are excited to have uh, the outreach director from Liquid Church out in New Jersey. That is, We talked about them doing some really cool stuff. Uh, for their community right now. So we're excited for that. Lots of good stuff in the show today. We've been uh, starting each and every show through this whole time of our stay at home during this global pandemic, uh, this coronavirus pandemic, just kind of catching up in this first segment. And there's one uh, article that I found I want to talk about in particular, but uh, just how things are going right now. Uh, PBS put out a poll that says this, despite widespread economic hardship, most Americans, in fact, that are polled say that we are not ready to reopen. And in fact, this poll, uh, it was by a big disparity that most Americans don't want to open. And, you know, when I watch the news, it kind of feels like there's a lot of people wanting to reopen. That's kind of the news narrative. Were you surprised at all if you read this poll at all uh, on PBS to see um, that, no, by a pretty wide disparity, most Americans don't want to reopen stores, especially don't want to open schools and other uh, crowded places. Uh, is that the feel you're getting from people around you still? Yeah, that's that's why this didn't surprise me. Like, this seems pretty in line with what friends and family from multiple places around the country are saying. So, yeah, this this seemed about 
about spot on from what I'm, again, just sort of passively hearing. I haven't conducted my own official study. That, <laughs> that, all, that all felt about right. Yeah, and I would it is a good reminder that sometimes uh, dig into your news sources a little bit. Um, but this is the one I really want to talk about, which ironically was from your old site of goodnewsnetwork.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a little more newsy, and it was this. Uh, survey finds working from home has so many benefits that, in fact, 48% of workers would take a pay cut to continue doing so. Let me read some of this, and I'm wondering if if this is kind of how you're feeling. Uh, a global poll of 2,250 office workers suggests many of them are actually much happier working from home. 77% believe working from home is one of the most effective ways to help the environment. Hmm. Uh, 75% of the respondents say their commute to work is something they feel guilty about. Uh, But then it keeps going down uh, about the amount of time they save by working from home, the less stress they feel. Uh, But here's the kicker. And I wonder what you think about this. The poll revealed that 48% of participants would happily take a pay cut if it meant that they could work from home indefinitely. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that is that uh, that people are telling the truth there? Or um, would you take a pay cut? I know pastors, it's a weird deal because we've got more flexibility than most people. But I was surprised that basically half the people are like, cut my salary if I can keep working from home. Yeah, there's a couple of layers to this. I do want to at least acknowledge some level of privilege in the question at all that people that they're polling have the freedom to choose between the two where we know that hundreds upon thousands of people maybe even listening don't have the kind of job where they even have that option. So I do want to recognize it's speaking to a very like particular sect of the workforce. For sure. For me, and I, you know, I resonate with, I mean, we even read Kenneth Tanner earlier in the week. Um, I, I became a pastor not to produce video content or even mm-hmm. to give sermons. Like a lot of that stuff we still can do. And I'm incredibly grateful. Um, but I think that, you know, we've both mentioned this, like I miss, I miss the people aspect and not just the communicating with people, but like doing life with people. And obviously, you know, like in leadership, that's a little different because you, you tend to be a lot more in charge of like right. helping other leaders strategize how they care for their people. But even that still involves like physicality and, you know, what we talk about, like incarnate space and faithful presence and all that stuff. So I, yeah, I don't, for me, I, it, I have most certainly been very, very grateful to still be able to do a lot of the work of pastoring and this show from home. But there's, there's not a part of me that's like, let's just do this forever. Like I, right. I love being home and it's been great to even poke upstairs throughout the day and be able to see my boys. I love that. And I, it's, it certainly helped me reframe some things, but yeah, for me, ministry is a whole lot more than just like creating or communicating content, you know? It is interesting to think about if home base could be your home while still doing ministry, would, would more pastors like to do that? I remember my pastor growing up, uh, his son was my best friend. So I would see their family a lot. Uh, and it was a church plant. We were meeting in a school and he just worked. He had an office at home and he, every, the church ran through his upstairs, uh, office, right? Mm. Uh, he was the only one on staff, but as you said, this is office workers they're talking about. Listen to these top five perks that they said in this survey of working from home. Uh, number five, completing weekend to-dos, 44%. So people taking work time to kind of uh, get some things done around the house. Number four, uh, wearing whatever they want. That hmm. could, uh, in the age of Zoom, that could come back to get you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, right. 
Number three, access to the kitchen. <laughs> that's that's been probably my biggest detriment. Get those, I know. Snack, get those peanut butter filled pretzels away from me. There's no doubt about that. I felt like, oh, I'm going to go down and just grab something else. Just grab something else. Right. Uh, number two, saving money. And number one, a flexible schedule. And so this is a very interesting uh, poll here. Very interesting article. Uh, as Ian rightly pointed out, we do realize there's a lot of people who don't have this option. But if you're one of the people who does, I'd be really curious to know if you're enjoying it. Uh, if you wish that you could continue doing this without a commute and without uh, the other things with come with being in, uh, in an office building. So uh, what we're off and running today, we're glad that you're joining us uh, on this Thursday afternoon. Coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about an article that discusses how do we even think about planning for the future? This was or for the fall. Uh, this is an interview with two college presidents kind of letting a window in there. That's what we're going to talk next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really happy to have you joining us today on Thursday afternoon. Uh, as always, find our all these articles that we're talking about. You can continue the conversation on, a, on our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. Uh, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, we ask that you subscribe, rate, and review. That does help us. Uh, Ian, before we discuss this article, uh, I did see on Facebook today, and uh, there was lots of uh, thriving stuff going on. They were doing uh, with some webinars, maybe. And uh, why don't you tell us more about Thrivent and how they could serve the people out there? Yeah, a couple of things. So I've been a Thrivent member for like eight years. I have loved, I have loved being a part of their team. You can learn more at Thrivent.com if you are interested. Also, if you're looking for a career change, Thrivent.com slash careers is a great place to go. And I know a lot of people right now, things are feeling tumultuous. So head on over there. I think that could be a really good fit for someone who's got an entrepreneurial drive or they just like helping people. You don't even have to have a background in finance. Also, they're providing a whole bunch of webinars to kind of help people just navigate these uncertain times. So we've been posting all those links on the Facebook page. And really excitingly, so coming up May 7th at 11 a.m., they're going to have a, uh, a topic of leadership in times of crisis with Dr. Ed Stetzer. We had Ed on the show just a couple of weeks ago. It was phenomenal. I have no doubt that this webinar is going to be phenomenal. So we've posted that as well on the Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. That's Thursday May 7th at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. But the nice thing is, no matter where you're watching this from, whatever time zone you're in, you you can log in and be a part of that. So I encourage you to head on over to our Facebook page to find out information about that. You know what? I don't tell you enough about how well done you do those reads. Well you done. Know, it feels like you're patronizing me. And I'm, <laughs> I'm such a words of affirmation guy that I don't even mind. Just going to take it. Right. Well, I was reading an interesting article. Uh, it's out of Chronicle, chronicle.com, uh, where they interviewed two presidents of small liberal arts colleges and how they're going to navigate this. Uh, and I want to talk about just the beginning of the article. Okay. Um, and so this was a window in. So it says in the last two months, the coronavirus crisis has forced colleges to shutter their classrooms and dormitories and move online. What will happen next? Uh, we talked via Zoom, of course, with Gabriel Starr and Leon Botstein, the presidents, respectively, of Pomona College and Bard College, to get a sense of how the leaders at smaller undergraduate-focused liberal arts schools are handling this critical period. 
And so something I found interesting, both of them, both the president of Pomona, uh, Leon Botstein, and of Bard, both said with pretty good um, force that they're planning to open up in the fall, even if it's a little delayed, that they're going to open up in the fall. Uh, when you first read this, did that strike you at all as uh, not odd, but I was surprised that it wasn't like we're hoping to or we're going to read how things are going. But like, no, we're planning to open up in the fall. Surprised by that at all? No, that didn't surprise me. I think especially at the level of leadership that a president is at, they need to, I imagine, convey some level of vision and confidence. And I think it's different. It's different at a university than a church for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is the gathering sizes don't tend to be nearly as big. So I can imagine leading with some vision and clarity and maybe even confidence with like some really strong like guidelines and parameters and restrictions in place. But I mean, like what I mean, I don't know. I've never been the president of a university, but I, I imagine <laughs> all of this has probably spent a lot of people into a financial fear spiral and this doesn't surprise me but it it wouldn't surprise me for other presidents to say the opposite so at this point for me it's sort of like i don't know you're entrusted to lead this community well but also to care for your staff well and not not, i I mean i guess what i'm saying is nothing surprises me anymore that's right that's right so i want to take two quotes so this is a really long article if you're interested in higher education and how they're thinking of stuff we'll post this and I'd encourage you to read it. But I want to give you two quotes. I want you now to take it from a church side of things okay. uh, and how you're thinking through things over community or we are over at Four Corners. Uh, the first one is this. They likened looking towards the fall as, quote, driving through a dense fog. So planning for the fall right now, feeling like driving through a dense fog, that it's really hard to even see what it's going to be like. And therefore, it's really hard to plan. Do you find that to be a good metaphor for you and how your team uh, is kind of even as you're thinking about the fall, just seeing like I can't even really see it right now? Is that a good metaphor for you? Yeah, I think I think fog is a good metaphor. I mean, every we're doing the best that we can to not just to rely like on our own assessment, but to be in constant communication with other churches, both in Illinois and across the country and world. That is the nice thing about having a big network of churches, too. You know, we're. We started the New Thing Network and with Exponential Church Plant. Like just a lot of people who have been able to kind of weigh in on best practices right. and how to actually communicate well and lead well, but also with caution and courage. It's an odd dance for sure. And there's not really, in a modern context, there's no like playbook for this. So a lot of conversation, a lot of, I mean, even wordsmithing has been really important. Like how do we want this email to read? How do we want this video to sound? Yeah. What do we want the tone to be? I think it's I think that's important, too. It's not just about what you're saying or doing. It's about how you're saying and doing it. And I think those are really important things that I the best leaders I see are considering all of those things. Absolutely. So I found this next quote. I almost want to, like, print this quote out and put it up or just continually send it to our staff. Here's the quote uh, from one of these presidents. They said, we don't need to return to normal. We need to return to a better normal. Yeah. so if, if you take that in your context, uh, what would that even look like? What and, and are you looking at, say, the fall and the winter, whatever coming forward as like this opportunity, almost like a blank slate to, to kind of create a better normal? What, what do you think about when you hear that quote? Yeah, there are, I mean, a couple of things that come to mind for me. One is uh, more intentional family rhythms, you know, with rest and mm-hmm. Sabbath and priorities. The other one 
that I, I've been really impressed by our church is like living on mission. You know, I've mentioned community cares and these 11 teams that we formulated and mobilized yep. to like take care of the, the 11 greatest needs that we identified in our community. And again, rhythm and Sabbath and living on mission are both things that we've talked about a whole lot. And That's I would right. say community for 30 years has actually been really, really good about living on mission. I, I think probably this pandemic has illuminated for more people, like how critical that is. And so I think part of the, the new normal, I, I would probably categorize them in two areas, the rhythm piece and the mission piece. And I think, what does it look like to actually love your neighbor uh, seven days a week and not just to talk about it on a Sunday morning? I think there's a holistic nature to what we're all experiencing right now. Like, hey, Sundays, Sundays are good, but they're the push, not the point. And I think we're seeing yeah. that lived out. And I would, I would love for that to be part of our new normal going forward. Yeah, I, I wonder if part of the new normal... All right. Just wonder how long it will take before we begin taking for granted being able to be around each other again, uh, being able to uh, talk face to face with each other. Because one of the presidents in this article said uh, students are dying to come back to the classroom to real contact with people. There's no machine replacement, no robotics, no A.I. that's going to replace the classroom. And I think you could remove the word classroom yeah, uh, right. and and enter the word, uh, you know, worship or church. And I think we are all feeling the same way. I hope that we also, like you said, I hope we don't lose this mission and we don't lose uh, the rhythm that some of us have had our eyes open to. I also hope we don't lose this um, longing for community and then doing the work that it keeps to kind of stay connected in community. Yeah, totally agree. That's well said, man. Uh, well, you can find this article again. It's more about colleges and uh, but you can see it up at our Facebook page. Coming up next, I want to talk about a hard subject uh, that uh, this one article is calling a hidden pen pandemic as we are all at home. We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Did we ever get a ruling on whether alongside one of us and with was proper grammar did your dad ever weigh in or anyone we we're gonna look to you know i tried googling my way you ever try to like google what the appropriate grammar is supposed to be and you left that googling with more questions than answers <laughs> yes you and i both do a lot of writing and i'm like okay wait a minute which version of this and then like a half hour later i'm like i clearly don't understand english i'm just gonna write what sounds correct or in my head or I'm just going to completely change the structure so I don't have to use that phrase anymore. Yeah, that would be like, a lot easier. Yeah, like Porky Pig it, right? Like you, <laughs> you're stumbling <laughs> over the structure. Like I'm going to scrap that sentence altogether. We don't need that. If anybody knew the 30 minutes I just spent on that sentence. <laughs> right. 100%. We should do a whole segment on that sometimes. I agonize sometimes over like the wording and phrasing of stuff. Not just in sermons, by the way, like emails. <laughs> yes. It's bad. It's, it's real bad. Facebook posts, all of them. Yeah, no yep. doubt. No doubt about that. So, uh, again, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can critique our grammar there, however <laughs> you would like. And uh, find us also uh, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. If you go to Facebook, you're going to see uh, Ian. Uh, not only did, did he get a drawing representation of us, but then uh, a, new, a new addition to that drawing as of late that is, that is appropriate in this pandemic. That's right. That's, that's a good tease. That is a tease. So you could uh, also uh, grab our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, grateful for those who are podcasting. Uh, we are grateful for you. So uh, there, there was uh, there's this website called Facts and Trends. It's put out by Lifeway, 
Uh, and they wrote an article uh, just uh, two days ago entitled this Pornography Pandemic, the Other Health Crisis Ravaging the World. So let me read some of this and uh, would love your response. While the world was preoccupied, it's written by Rosie McKinney, uh, writes, while the world was preoccupied with trying to prevent a global health crisis, the largest pornography company was busy unleashing another one. Before COVID-19 pandemic spread worldwide, traffic to the site, which they are very good not to mention what the site is, uh, traffic to the site was already globally higher than usual. But on March 24th, the company offered its premium premium subscription service fee for the entire to the entire planet for 30 days Oh, free to the entire planet for 30 days. In the following days, subscriptions rose by unprecedented numbers. Uh, on March 25th, traffic to the site in the U.S. increased by 22.6%. In Canada, 21%. Europe uh, experienced an increase of 24%. Mexico, 41%. Russia, 53%. Spain, 61%. India, 95%. Wow. Uh, pornography searches uh, are up among males and females of all ages, in part because there's a lot of people who are at home with more free time than usual. But more than that, the author writes, this is a time for unprecedented fear and anxiety. Pornography is a powerful and immediate way to medicate oneself out of a relentlessly stressful reality. Hmm. And now, courtesy of the largest pornography website, no credit card is necessary. So we'll stop right there. Do those statistics uh, surprise you at all? I mean, the India one does a little bit, but for every, I mean, everywhere else, 20%, 30%, 40%. This actually is something that I was thinking about a couple of days ago too. I wonder with all of this, and not every country is doing stay at home quarantine the same way, but like when we did a story a couple of weeks ago about the smog clearing to the point where you could see the Himalayas. That's right. And Maybe this is just what makes me sometimes an unhelpful pessimist. I saw that. And I was like, yeah, but I wonder what the negative effects are. And then a couple of days later, we read the really, really heartbreaking statistics about the rise of domestic violence. And about when we were reading that, I thought to myself, I'll bet you pornography consumption is way up, too. So, yeah, I don't mm. I don't know that these percentages necessarily surprise me, but they, they certainly grieve me. Yeah, no doubt. Here's some more of the article. Uh, our heightened state of anxiety is creating a whole new wave of porn converts who may or may not be able to extricate themselves from this highly addictive coping mechanism once the 30 days uh, of that free trial are up, which is why they're offering it for 30 days. Right. Uh, uh, going down a little further, a month of Internet porn is more than enough time for someone to become dependent on this uh, super normal stimulus and developing an addiction will continue to negatively impact marriages and families long after this worldwide pandemic has subsided. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Um, Let's say uh, you come across a friend or somebody in your church wants to talk to you and they say, you know what? I don't understand why people make pornography out to be this big deal, right? Just a, you know, something I like to do. How would you answer that question as someone who's probably, uh, had to help navigate marriages or individuals through this before. How would you answer that question as to, is it really a big deal? Yeah, let me read a little more from this article, actually, because I think they answer it wonderfully. Right. It says, as so much research has made clear, pornography addiction rewires the brain and destroys its ability to build real-life relational connections with loved ones. It doesn't help the situation. It actually harms. It doesn't aid boredom. It makes it worse. Porn creates a desire that's never satisfied. Consuming porn doesn't help you let off steam. It creates irritability, 
unavailability, and defensiveness. Just like any other addiction, porn addiction devours the attention, affection, and energy of those in its grip. What's more, uh, matrimony lawyers say that 50%, 56% of divorce cases involved one person having an wow. obsession with pornographic websites. 56% wow. of divorce cases. So in those few short sentences, I think they make a really compelling case for why this is actually much more destructive and toxic than maybe like you were alluding to a lot of people, even Christians sort of like, ah, at least they're not killing anybody, you know, which is true, but it, it does seem to, in certain circles seem to be one of the things that we just sort of excuse or wave off. Like, Hey, it's not harming anybody. I think in those couple of sentences I just read that proves otherwise. Yeah. And so the author here says, just to assess the impact of COVID-19 on couples dealing with porn addiction, I recently sent out, a survey to 50 wives. The responses were not entirely unexpected, but were heartbreaking nonetheless. 50% of wives knew or suspected their husband's porn usage had increased since the COVID-19 crisis began. 38% had been arguing far more frequently, and 68% said they felt lonelier now than ever before, which is really interesting because, right, we're with each other more. Right. But 68% said they felt lonelier now uh, than ever before um how would you speak then ian if if we've laid down that you and i both think this is a big deal um and let's speak to men this affects men and women but the the numbers are a lot more towards men uh how would you speak to a man who right now is either um uh on the pathway towards addiction or in full-blown addiction of pornography, uh, give them some hope and maybe a step or two of what maybe their next step could be to kind of turn this around. Well, I I would first read the rest of this article. She gives a few points, I think four or five of them, four of them about how to actually take action, like how to move forward and why that's important. So this is posted on our Facebook page. I'd highly encourage you to read the rest of it. We haven't had time to talk about it. The other resource that I would mention that I've mentioned before is triplexchurch.com. That's X xxchurch.com not only are there a ton of really great resources but there's testimonies there's exactly what you were just asking about brian like there is clarification around why this actually is so destructive yeah Yeah. and the thing that i find so great about websites like that is because one it reminds people that they're not alone i think that's part of how addictions like this tend to really grow is because it it builds in shame and secrecy so we just kind of keep it in the shadows so one you realize you're not alone two you see all these other success stories that are celebrated on the website. And you're like, man, there is actually hope. I can actually yeah. make this. I can actually achieve a closeness and intimacy with my spouse again. And uh, that's why I think, yeah, Triple X Church and organizations like them are really, really important. That's a great resource. I'm glad you brought them up. Well, uh, you can always send us a private message on our Facebook page mm-hmm. if we could be of assistance. But yep. uh, go ahead and read this article. This is a big deal. And uh, apparently in the grander global pandemic, it is something that is uh, even growing. And we want to uh, we want to encourage you not to allow that to happen. Well, coming up next, uh, a tweet from Darren Patrick from an interview him and Greg Surratt did uh, that I found really interesting towards pastors. But I think it fits for all of us. We're going to talk about what they said next here on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are uh, grateful for you joining us today uh, as we're all in our homes and going through this coronavirus pandemic together. We hope that uh, just our show or our podcast uh, is, is helping you out in some way. 
before we talk uh, about our next subject here, let me remind you of something that the station is doing that we're excited about. Because during this Corona, I can talk today during the coronavirus pandemic. We know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. We also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word. 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form, and we're going to be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. It's totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Um, Darren Patrick is uh, the teaching uh, pastor at Seacoast, and he works there with Greg Surratt, who is the founding pastor at Seacoast Church. Seacoast, South Carolina, is that right? I think it's South Carolina. Um, yeah, I think I'm right about that. Uh, they had a discussion the other day. They do this thing called the pastors collective kind of a podcast where they are speaking to pastors. And and I found this little discussion. They did very interesting from a pastoral sense, but also I think it is actually good advice, uh, beyond that. So they're talking about where does a pastor who is lonely, find friends? Where does a pastor who is lonely find friends? Let's listen to how they answer that question, and then we'll talk about it. Where does a pastor who feels alone, where do they find friends? Well, I think the first thing, and this is so obvious, but we don't tend to do it. We we need to pray for, we need to pray for spiritual friends. Mm. We need to ask God to send us friends. And so I think ideally, You've got somebody on your staff, somebody in your church that can be that. But I think more times than not, I mean, this is why we do the Pastors Collective, right? Pastors need other pastors. Mm -hmm. They need friends outside of their context. Um, All righty. And interestingly, we all know uh, that Darren Patrick, uh, he really struggled uh, and, in fact, lost his church in St. Louis where he was the pastor, lost his pastor there at Journey Church, and has gone through this kind of whole restoration process that from a distance you and I have said has been done really well. Again, we're from a distance. Uh, and now he's kind of come under Greg Surratt uh, out at Seacoast Church. But when he talks about loneliness and pastors, before we get to their answers, do you think this is a big deal uh, in the pastor world that you and I swim in or also just kind of the general world that we're a part of? Yeah, I, I mean, I think every poll, every study, Every article I've ever seen posted about pastoral statistics, like I'm looking at one right now that says 70% of pastors are lonely. Um, 40% of pastors have considered leaving the ministry in the last three months. Like, wow, that's and that has been I I haven't been in ministry forever, but I have been in professional vocational ministry for like 12 years. And I cannot remember a year where these stats were not true. Like, it just feels like year after year with even the rise of social media and this supposed connectedness and all these resources, like it just continues to remain a problem. And you and I probably both have speculation as to why, but it does no, it doesn't surprise me. And I totally get it too. That's the other weird thing. You and I are both pastors. So somebody might be listening to that 30 second clip thinking, well, why though you have all these people around all the time and you have, 
connection to a community yeah. and why on earth, you know, like, I don't even know if you've ever been asked that before or how you would answer that. But my guess is people are probably, if you're not actually in pastoral ministry, you might be a little surprised by that. Yeah. I, uh, and I would answer it by uh, a lot of our relationships are in our churches. Uh, that's why we're in ministry, right? One of the reasons most of us are in ministry. Uh, but while being in, while having our closest relationships or a lot of our relationships in the churches, there's still something different about being the pastor at that church right, uh, where right. people kind of hold you a little differently. And, um, you know, Darren Patrick here with Greg Surratt, I've really found it interesting. And it sounds like a really basic answer, but it's not one that I would probably give if you were asking, what's the first thing, first, one of the first things you should tell somebody or you should do if you're lonely and don't have friends, when he answers that question with, uh, we should pray that God would bring us friends, that God would bring us deep friends. I don't know why that struck me as so, oh, maybe that's a great answer. I, if you asked me, how do you fix the loneliness problem? How do you find friends? I don't think one of my first answers would be, hey, during your prayer time, pray, God, would you bring me a friend? Uh, did that surprise you also as an answer? Oh, not at all, Brian. I <laughs> always prayer is always my go-to in every circumstance, and that's why I wake up at four in the morning to pray for everyone. How much longer can I keep the sarcasm going? No, that, I, th I think, I think you can do it. Uh, you know, it's nah, been sixteen months now. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully, people are picking up on the sarcasm there. No, I think that is honestly one of the great deficiencies of a lot of pastors is we become adept at like doing the mechanics of the role and can sometimes forget how significant, how vital and critical like spirit presence and empowerment is. And that's not just with friendships. That's with sermon writing, sermon delivering. That's with coaching and shepherding and all of those things. You, you know, you get good enough at any of that. The temptation will be to start relying on your own strength. And I think with friendships, it's the same way. I think the reason, and I would love to, maybe we can do this with other pastors sometime, Part of the reason that I think pastors so often struggle with this is because the assumption from the vast majority of people is that they're good in the friend department because they tend yeah. to be friendly. And we, I think, mistake being friendly with having deep friendships, and they're not the same thing. And, you know, a lot of pastors were handed a, I think, a pretty antiquated version of pastoral leadership that said, never let them see a sweat. You're yeah, the leader. Right. You got to have it together. You got to have the answers. And we know that, like, that's the antithesis of deep, meaningful friendships because those require like vulnerability and confession and sharing of fears and doubts. And so if you are in a, a role vocationally, where you don't feel any freedom to voice any of those things. Well, then, of course, you're going to struggle with deep, intimate relationships. And I think that's what I'm saying. I think it's more than just like, hey, get some friends in your life. I'm like, no, I think there's a bunch of other things that need to kind of unravel a little bit as well. If pastors and really leaders of any kind hope to have deep, meaningful, sustaining relationships. Yeah. What do you think of his, also his point about pastors need other pastor friends kind of outside their church who kind of get the pastor thing. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you think there's something to that where having other pastor friends who kind of understand it is, um, should be a goal? You know, I don't think I believed how true that was 10 years ago. I think I was like, yeah, I mean, that would be nice, but they could still be friends with teachers and coaches and CEOs, which again, still do that. But the older that I get, the more I'm convinced it's critical 
to befriend people with the same kind of crazy you are like to see like hey mm. <laughs> this thing we chose to do man is lovely and glorious but also like brutal and hard and there is so there is something really refreshing about even if it's completely different denominations on totally different sides of the world if you both are like local church pastors there's like an instant like mm, there's i get you <laughs> there's, yes. a, there's a commonality that i just don't think you can fabricate so Yes, both and not just pastors. That's another danger. The pendulum yep. is too far the other way. You know, like that dude only hangs out with other pastors. That's going to create a myopathy as well. But I do think it's important to get well, like with any profession, teachers with other teachers, coaches with other coaches. I think there's Green. a lot of a lot of strength being found in like this shared commonality. Agreed. And I think this call to be praying for deep friendships, I think, is is something to take up. Yeah, and. Okay. Uh, we would love to know your thoughts. This is up at our Facebook page. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about this question that I think a lot of people in churches are asking. Is COVID-19 a sign of the end times? And does that even matter? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, uh, is the COVID-19 pandemic a sign of the end of the world? We're going to discuss that and some other things here on The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us today. As always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, online 1160hope.com or get our podcast Ian even said just go outside and yell and the podcast will appear mm-hmm. uh, what was the word you sure. used the ether I think it's coming from the ether yeah if you could just yell into the ether whatever that is yep but if you figure out what the ether is you'll find our podcast there as well as anywhere else that you get your podcast uh, subscribe rate and review uh, you can use Alexa. You can the, basically the point is you can find our content just about anywhere. So what's stopping you? What is stopping you? And uh, yeah, the devil, the devil. <laughs> resist, resist Satan, and go subscribe to the podcast. I mean, it is really it is that uh, dire, that big a deal. It really is. So uh, it is you know when he, when he says that we don't fight uh we don't fight things that are seen but unseen that is how we feel about the podcast so. who who says that brian paul kind of paul kind of said that <laughs> <laughs> i gave my own version there <laughs> you, went, you went full eugene peterson on us okay yes i did that's what i'm working on during the coronavirus <laughs> <laughs> brian's bible okay oh you know you'd read it <laughs> oh i think i'm living it right now <laughs> Touche. Valid point. There's French uh, in it too? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so uh, I was telling you off air, uh, you start to see things go, and I, I know this word is probably a bad word to use now, but viral uh, on social oh, media gosh. these days. I don't know what else or what other word can we use, right? Yeah. And so um, there was a particular sermon that was getting shared. I saw shared amongst a couple different people. Uh, just from this last week on my Facebook page. Uh, and then when I clicked on the YouTube link of the sermon, uh, it had almost 2 million views at the point, uh, mm. which is a, which is a normal Ian Simpkins sermon. But for me, that okay. felt like a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and it was this. It was Pastor David Jeremiah. So David Jeremiah, who has a show on our station. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is the pastor of Shadow Mountain Community Church in El Cajon, California. And uh, Pastor Jeremiah preached a sermon this week trying to answer this question. Is the coronavirus in biblical in Bible prophecy? Pastor David Jeremiah answers. So let me read some of this. Uh, I'm picking this up out of the Christian Post. Uh, but I'm wondering, um, you know, I don't want to pitch you either against or with David Jeremiah, but I do just wonder what you think about it. And more so as we read this, Ian, I'm wondering uh, if you think it matters, right? Okay. If you think it matters. Okay, sure. here we go. Uh, popular pastor David Jeremiah weighed in on the question of whether COVID-19 is mentioned in biblical prophecy and stressed that no matter how devastating it gets, quote, the coronavirus is not a big deal to God. Is there a connection between COVID-19 and end times, Jeremiah asked? Are we living in the last days before the return of Jesus? Is all that is happening to us at this moment a sign that the world is coming to an end? How do we know if the coronavirus is a sign. The founder of Turning Point Radio and Television Ministries uh, defined a biblical sign as an event or a symbol or an object or a place or a person whose existence indicates something important on God's plan for the future. He goes on to say, Jesus said in the future there are going to be signs, adding though that Jesus also said no one knows the day or hour of his return. If someone tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, you can tell them absolutely that's not possible. Jeremiah goes on to say Jesus does identify six signs that let us know if we're in that time, including deception by false Christ, disputes and warfare among nations, deliverance of believers to tribulation, the defection of false believers, and the declaration of the gospel to the whole world. Is this a sign of the second coming of Christ? He goes on to say, I cannot say with any sense of certainty that it is, but neither can I say with any certainty that it is not. It could be the early evidence of number three on Jesus's sign list, the coming of pestilence. Uh, So let me pause there. Uh, What do you think? You could weigh in on what you think David Jeremiah said, but maybe even bigger than that. Why do you think there is this great interest that so many people would listen to a sermon like that. Why do you think so many people are trying to link this to biblical prophecy? So take either of those that you want. Yeah, I think we're always trying to understand what's happening, right? That's, I mean, religion is not a new thing for people to turn to, to try to make sense of current realities. And something like a global pandemic probably uh, is a textbook opportunity to try to make some sort of cryptic sense of it. We've not, I mean, we've not been strangers to people making end time predictions, even in the course of the history of this show, which is less than a year and a half old. So like something of this caliber, I can understand why people would be asking these types of questions. I appreciate Jeremiah's general posture. He's like, I can't say that it is. And I can't say that it isn't. So that's a much healthier response, in my opinion, than the people that have made claims, especially over the course of decades, that this is definitely happening. You should sell all your possessions and give them to me because it's the end of the world. And <laughs> yes. then when it's not the end of the world. That person offers no apology. There's no retribution. <laughs> they just carry on and then make another prediction two years later. That kind of stuff to me is, I mean, that's a, that's a scam. But um, I do think it's also worth remembering that like the word apocalypse comes from the Greek that means like an unveiling or a revelation. That's why, that's why it's called the book of revelations. And, really the revelation of Christ. Like we tend to think of the word apocalypse to mean like 
everyone being destroyed. That's not what the word means at all. It's, it's revealing something. It's uh, unveiling something. And I think uh, those are difficult things to keep in mind when we have movies like Armageddon, mm. <laughs> you know, that kind of, and it's, it makes for a good movie, I guess. But the thing that's really kind of driven home is how we're all going to die. And uh, I don't really know that Book of Revelation or the Apocalypse is really ever meant to be interpreted that way. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, while it's important to be informed, he said, this is not the end of the world. Step back, take a deep breath and get into the word of God and be reminded uh, that God is in control. There's also a Lifeway research, um, a poll that came to find out that almost nine in 10 pastors see at least some current events matching those Jesus said would occur shortly before he returns to earth. Uh, according to a new survey, uh, like you said, I think you said it well, uh, kind of trying to predict when Jesus is coming back. Are we in those times is not a new phenomenon. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, do you think it's helpful or is it distracting in some way? Is it a good, uh, is it a positive way for us as believers to be spending our time trying to put pieces together and figure out prophecy? Well, I mean, I think good eschatology, which is what we're really talking about here, is always worthwhile. I think where it starts to veer into dangerous territory when it becomes like some way either A, you know, for a pastor ministry's own financial gain, B, to stir like confusion or panic, or C, to try to make predictions of a thing that Jesus said that we're not going to know the day of the hour. So like I think any anytime that, I think that there's probably some pastoral wisdom in like helping people navigate and mitigate fears and maybe not even just fears, but concerns and questions. That's part of the role of the pastors. When your people say, Hey, is this what we're seeing? Are we in the middle of that? I think that's part of the duty and role of the office. Um, hmm. But I think what we often unfortunately see, especially the, the ones that make headlines <laughs> are the ones that seem to be trying to like stir and stoke the most amount of panic. And that yeah. to me, I always step back and think, I don't know that that's a good use of the pastoral role at all. Yeah, that's well put. I think I'll wrap it up this way. For me, my posture towards it is uh, it's not so much important uh, when Jesus is returning as much as it is that he's returning. (laughs) And uh, for us to have that posture that says, hey, the Bible makes it clear, um, you know, that Jesus is coming back. But he also makes it clear that we're not going to know when. Right. Even Jesus said, like Jeremiah said there, David Jeremiah said, uh, even Jesus said it's not. For us to know the day or the hour. And so I, I do think there's a lot of wasted energy that goes into what exactly does that war mean or that pandemic or uh, that whatever treaty with Israel. But but instead going, yeah, you know what? Uh, this is not all that there is. This world is not ultimate. And so we go on all of our days now loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind and soul and loving our neighbor as ourselves uh, with a posture that says this world is not the ultimate and we can take heart in that. So uh, I would encourage you to listen to the sermon. It's out there all over YouTube. You can hear it. And uh, I think, Ian, you put it really well. Good eschatology is uh, important. We're glad that you're joining us today here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, Really thankful for you joining us today on this Thursday afternoon. As always, you can find uh, everything we've talked about, different articles, 
uh, at our uh, Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Also on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Find our show online at 1160hope.com. And you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, uh, rate, and review. We're grateful for those of you uh, who do that. So uh, something a lot of us have been feeling during this global pandemic, I know I can say I've been feeling this at times, is that uh, being at home and not in our normal rhythms, that sometimes it's just, A, you don't know what to do, but B, it honestly doesn't feel like your brain is working at full function, like you're kind of lethargic yeah. or this and that. Uh, and I've so, felt that way for a couple of decades now. So that's <laughs> you you have felt that way. When when were your kids born? Two years ago. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. Um, so Pastor uh, Emily Scott at Medium wrote, uh, your brain won't work as well. Tips for spiritual leaders during COVID-19. She says, I served as a clergy person through Hurricane Sandy in New York City. It was scary and hard. Uh And while a hurricane is very different from what we're facing now, working in the time of COVID-19 has felt very familiar. My brain is running too fast. I can't catch my breath. And every so often I'm overwhelmed thinking about those who are the most vulnerable, especially if she's in New York City, you can imagine. right. Uh, Right now, it's like a big wave is crashing over us or about to. But this is a big wave we can't see. What's worse, our best tool for caring for people Gathering together has been taken from us. We're called to offer presence, but right now presence places people at harm. So while this situation is like nothing I've ever experienced, during Sandy, I learned how to weather the storm. Here are a few things I've learned about how to make it through in the long haul. So this becomes a list of 10 about in this new um, this new reality, uh, how do we work when, when it feels like our brains are either overloaded or just kind of off from being off? So this list of 10, uh, why don't you grab number one here? Why don't you take number yeah, one? Just a reminder, this is from Pastor Emily Scott over at medium.com. Tips for spiritual leaders during COVID-19. We'll get through all 10 and then uh, we'll respond. Or maybe we'll ask yep. you to weigh in on Facebook too. What would you add? What would you tweak? What would you take away? Number one, your brain won't work as well. This week, I've forgotten what I was doing a thousand times. Stress messes with your sequencing, and ordering your thoughts gets hard. Try to do one thing at a time. Mm, that's good. This is good. I know real fast, this is going to be one of those articles that even if it doesn't help anybody else, you and me are going to be like, yes, yeah, <laughs> here we go. Sure. This feels like something I need to hear. Number two, touch down once a day for the big picture, but focus on the tasks in front of you most of the day. There's a lot to take in about how our world has changed. Take in news and new information once during the day to make sure the work you're doing is in line with the new reality. But the rest of the time, focus on your work. Having something to focus on always gives me a sense of agency. You know, we read this somewhere else earlier this week or maybe last week, and I have done my best to apply that. And I tend to make that that news time earlier in the morning. So yeah. By the end of the day, actually, my wife is like, have you heard? And I'm like, I actually, I haven't <laughs> like kind of really, nice. Yeah. It's been helpful. Uh, number three, pause to assess your gifts and your vocation and how they might meet the need in this current moment. If you're incredible at pastoral care, focus on delivering it. If you're great at building new structures, do that. Mm. We all have to adapt to this new time, but lean in on gifts God gave you and take a breath to decide how to focus your time. That's really good. Number four, savor the sweet spots. It might be snuggling down under the covers when you first wake up or a cup of tea each night on the porch, but linger in the moments that give you comfort uh, as long as you can. 
That's pretty good. Number five, do less. We can all do about 50 to 75% of what we did before this crisis hit. Let extra stuff fall away and streamline what you can. That's interesting. Giving yourself even the the ability or the freedom uh, or the license to do less is really good. Uh, Number six, sometimes it's time for triage. There are certain moments when we just jump in to make something happen. It's good to move fast, but remember, you will need to move slowly afterward. Hmm. Number seven, adapt and pivot. Be as nimble as you can. We're in a world that looks very different, and our organizations will need to shift to meet new needs. If you're part of an organization that has a structure set up to serve others, how can that structure reach the most vulnerable right now? I know I said do less above, but also it's time to do differently as well. Mm. Your church or organization might have resources, volunteers, or space. How can we be the church in this time taking care of our members and then stretching outward to love our neighbors? Great. Number eight, a trauma will emerge. I've noticed my body and mind shutting down this week or my emotions racing out ahead of me, she writes. We can expect past traumas or current traumas to influence our days. Notice the signal uh, signals your body is sending you and plan in time and energy for this. That's good, man. Number nine, rituals and structures of self-care are key. Meditation at the beginning and the end of the day, a long walk, a regular talk with a dear friend, set up structures that will hold you through this time. That's good. Last one, number 10, you're not God. If you're, uh, if you're the kind who thinks you have to rescue the whole world, remember that we're in this together and God is still here. There are people working for good in every setting, hospitals, library, schools, grocery stores, etc. You can trust them to do their job while you do yours. So that's a list of 10 from Pastor Emily Scott about this. Your brain won't work as well. Tips for spiritual leaders during COVID-19. Which one or two uh, either stood most out to you, Ian, or where you said, yeah, no, I've got to I got to hone in on that one. Well, I, I, I want to give props real quickly to New Thing and Dave Ferguson. Dave just wrote a really great article today, yesterday, yesterday, five shifts for thriving in the new normal. I just want to give the headings to the shifts, too, because I think they correspond a lot. Uh, it says shift one from criticizing to evaluating. Hmm. Ask how do we thrive during this time? Number two, from informing to digitizing. Ask how can we move all spiritual formation online? Number three, from collecting to mobilizing, asking how do we get every person on mission now? Number four, from competing to collaborating, how do we work together with other churches? And then number five, from adding to multiplying, how do we reproduce new expressions of the church? And obviously there's a whole lot more there, but I felt like there were some parallels between this article that we just read and some of what Dave had to say here in this article, which I think is interesting. I'm grateful for some really, really wise voices that are bubbling to the surface, especially in light of some of the stories that you and I have even done on the show, where I know that sometimes we choose stories and we're like, I don't even know if I want to do a segment on this because it's so wackadoo, but I feel like we need to talk against it or to shed some light on it. But as far as this list is considered, I I think for me, anything around doing less is almost always going to be pertinent for me. (laughs) Like, yeah, not, you know, um, and I, every time I read it, it like hits me in a different way. It is nice though, to hear somebody else sort of just own the fact that like, Hey, does it seem like your brain's processing slower? Because that's all of us. Like that makes me feel a little less crazy because yeah. there are days where, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my work is writing and I'm just staring at a blinking cursor and I'm like, how come my brain's not working right now? <laughs> yeah. Encouraging to know like, Hey, a lot of us feel that way right now that, that I find encouraging. What about you? 
I like number three about uh, kind of leaning into what you're what you're best at. As she said, it's pause right. to assess your gifts and how they might meet the need. Like all pastors, and just this is for people in general, but speaking pastorally, like we're wired differently. Like some people yeah. are really good at X, while other people are really good at Y. And this is an opportunity to kind of lean into that. What? How can I use my gifting in this unique setting instead of trying to be all things to all people and figure everything out? And also the one you said about doing less. Uh, sometimes I'll just admit it in the last couple of weeks, I have felt guilty if I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to take a break now. Cause I don't have anything like really pressing right now. It should be right. like, I should be doing something right now. I should be when really maybe what I would have been doing if I was, uh, you know, in my normal rhythm is meeting with somebody and being out and doing something like that. And so, right. Uh, I think this is really helpful. This is a great list of 10. As Ian said, we're going to put it up or it is up on our Facebook page, but we would love for you to interact with it. What did, uh, which ones do you uh, really resonate with? And maybe which are was some, what are some things that you would add to it? We'd love to hear from you at our Facebook page. Uh, well, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about uh, ministry and using the example of Vincent Van Gogh. We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday evening. We hope you've been having a good day. Uh, you can find all the articles, including the one we're about to discuss, uh, at The Common Good, at our Facebook page, Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Online, you can find old shows if you've missed some. Uh, go to 1160hope.com or find our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, you can listen to us at half speed, double the speed, uh, however you want to consume it. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, we do ask that you subscribe, rate, and review, and are grateful for those uh, who do that. You know, during the coronavirus—that's cor- the second time today I've messed that one up. <laughs> during the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that there are a lot of businesses out there who've had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So here's what we want to let you know. If you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open uh, for business. It's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we're going to compile all of that information and share it with our listeners. Here's the best part. It's totally free, no catch. So right now, uh, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. And it's our hope uh, that that will be helpful for you uh, and your business as you continue trying to make it during this coronavirus pandemic. Um, at ministrytogether.com, uh, you found this uh, this interesting article called Please Don't Cut Off Your Ear. So when you sent it or you put it on our our link where, where we kind of look at articles. When I read, please don't cut off your ear. I'm like, I'm in, I'm on this one. <laughs> uh, very, so what, very violent man that Brian from there it is. I'm like, well, no, it says don't cut off your ear. If it had said, please cut off your, ear, I would have expected Keith to put it in at the end of the show, but. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's a Van Gogh kicker at the end of uh, interweb insanity. There you go. Uh, so this, please don't cut off your ear here at ministry together. Uh, what is this one about? Well, if you don't mind, Brian, it's not that long. Could I just read it? I would love that. All right. <laughs> you would love. Wow. Okay. I would. Yeah, here we go. It says, I saw this post from a pastor this past weekend. And so here he's quoting the post. 
It says, I'm wrestling through my significance as a pastor. I didn't realize how much I relied on attendance numbers to tell me if I was winning in my job or to give me a sense of significance. Now that I can't accurately count numbers, I'm finding myself fighting an ongoing feeling of failure. That says a lot about where my heart was found and the magnitude of work that Christ still has to do in me. So that's the Mm -hmm. end of the quote there. And he goes on to say, I think a lot of pastors can relate. We can't see the people we're ministering to. We don't get feedback other than a few comments in the chat. And attendance numbers are wild guesses at best. We feel insignificant and we feel guilty for feeling insignificant at the same time, which is a very true statement. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, I think we can get some perspective from a guy who died over 100 years ago. He preached a few sermons, but he was really bad at it. When he finally changed careers, people said that he was even worse at his new vocation. This was a guy who knew what it was to feel insignificant. After Vincent van Gogh became an artist in his 30s, one of his biggest struggles in life was that he could not sell his paintings. Even though his brother was one of the most successful art dealers in Paris, no one was interested in Vincent's art. He studied with the masters of the time. He changed his style and his setting, and he sent his brother canvas after canvas, all to no avail. He died penniless, convinced he was a failure because he never found significance as a painter. Hmm. A few years after Vincent's death, his brother's widow, left with little more than stacks of Vincent's worthless canvases, began to market his paintings at the local galleries. The art sensibilities in Paris were changing, and soon Vincent's paintings were in demand. Within a few years, he became one of the most desired artists of the early 20th century. And in 2017, one of his paintings, pictured with this post, sold for over $81 million. Vincent van Gogh is now revered as one of the greatest artists of the past 200 years. So what changed? Obviously, Vincent did not change. He was dead before a single painting was sold. The paintings, the settings, and the models did not change. Every painting was exactly as it was when Vincent put it away, put away his brush. All that changed were the metrics of his success. When he could not sell a painting, he was deemed a failure. When his paintings became collectors, uh, collector's items, he was heralded as a genius. Vincent saw the world from a perspective no one had seen before. He painted sunflowers and wheat fields in ways that captivated art lovers 100 years after his death. It took the world decades to realize that what Vincent painted were masterpieces. Pastors, when all church gatherings were canceled, you lost all the metrics that helped you measure your significance. You aren't shallow or evil because you missed those metrics. Those are the standards that helped you understand if you were making progress. Sure, some of the metrics are more valid than others, but everyone needs some form of measure to mark the progress. Here's the reality. Your life is a masterpiece. God said so himself in Ephesians 2, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. You are invaluable and you are called to do work that really matters. You may have lost some of the metrics that reinforced what God says is true about you, but your value hasn't diminished at all. The portrait of Dr. Gachet was a masterpiece when Van Gogh painted it in 1890, long before it was purchased for millions of dollars. You were a masterpiece before COVID-19, and you're still a masterpiece today. The sermons you preach matter. The leadership lessons you teach matter. The life you model with your family and your congregation matters. You are significant. God is proud of you. And all of us who are following are thankful you are leading us through this season. That's a good good. pastoral word there, don't you think? Oh, it's wonderful. I think it's, it's, again, directed towards pastors primarily, but this... This idea that the things that we're used to having, not just the things that we did uh, to spend our time, but also how we measured our success uh, in terms of 
who was at our service? How did the service go or whatever else? What other other metrics we had? We've lost those metrics now. And I, I can see on a positive side, it could cause us to rethink, are those metrics the best metrics, right? Are they the best way to um, to gauge how things are going? But then also, uh, it does leave you kind of wandering a little bit. How are things going when I can't see people and I can't count people and I can't do this or that? Um, so it's definitely uh, a burden that I think I feel and you feel in the church world. And it's probably a burden that businesses feel, that teachers feel, not being able to see their kids. Uh, that all sorts of people feel. And so this picture of, um, you know what, you're you're more than just your metrics and you're more than just the signpost of success. You're God's masterpiece going all the way back to identity. Man, do I think that's really helpful. You're not a Doctor Who guy, are you? No. So I think it's, uh, well, let me look it up. Yeah, it's the 10th episode of the fifth series of British science fiction, Doctor Who. It's called Vincent and the Doctor. And it's this really powerful movie. It's a, the episode's great, but the scene that I'm thinking of is they actually bring Vincent Van Gogh back to the future, and they uh, they enter an, an art museum that is uh, highlighting uh, a number of works from Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, and he's overhearing all of these art experts talk about his pieces, obviously not knowing that he's there in the room, and it just it moves him to tears. And it's such a Obviously, it's science fiction and it's, you know, it is a, a far fetched storyline. But there was something really profound about watching this actor who was playing someone who died thinking that their life was meaningless without any significance, hearing these like art scholars and experts praise his work and like reading this article, thinking about we, we might not ever get that. You know, we might yeah. not ever, the encouragement maybe that a lot of us long for the words of affirmation. But I, I just keep thinking back that one day. We'll stand before our maker and he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful leader or entrepreneur mm. or pastor or elder. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Just keep keep on serving. Right. And I think knowing that at one point, at some point in our in our lives, in our experiences, we'll stand face to face and uh, prayerfully we'll hear those words. That does make some of the present uncertainty and suffering and difficulty uh, dissipate just just a little bit, and I think yeah. again, I would encourage you to go find that scene. You can just type that into Google and watch the scene because it's it's really really moving, especially in light of this discussion. What a powerful story! Like I knew the Van Gogh story, but I hadn't thought about that in a while. That man, he died thinking as an artist he was a failure, you know, totally, or totally. And and now that if he could ever come back, it's just crazy. That is crazy to think about. It's not even like he was a marginal artist back then, right. but during his lifetime, he was a failure. And now he's got painting selling for uh, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars he is crazy. Uh, we've posted this up on our Facebook page. I'd encourage you to read it over again. Cause if you're struggling with your identity and your self-worth, especially now that so many things have changed, this one is a great reminder uh, we would encourage you to read it. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show the way we always end our shows uh, with uh, just craziness, interweb insanity, crazy stories from the Internet. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. And the way we end every show, the thing that that music signifies is interweb insanity. Just crazy stories from the internet found by our executive producer, Keith Conrad, uh, that we read sight unseen. So, Ian, you get to read the first one out of India. 
Would you mind if I talk about Thrivent real quickly first, though, Brian? Oh, I would not mind that at all. <laughs> all right, so Thrivent Financial. I've been a Thrivent member for like seven or eight years. I love Thrivent. I love the way they give back. I love the way that they integrate like a Christian ethos and philosophy in how you manage your money. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. Plus, if you're looking for a career change, now would be the time to do that. Thrivent.com slash careers is where I would recommend you go and at least peruse. I mean, it's a it's a global company. So regardless of where you're watching from or listening from, this could be a really helpful thing, I think, for you. And lastly, they're hosting a whole bunch of really wonderful webinars all over the place. There's multiple ones on stress and joy and managing expectations and homeschooling your kids. And one that I'm really excited about coming up Thursday, May 7th at 11 a.m. That's 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, by the way. Uh, Dr. Ed Stetzer is going to teach on the topic of leadership in times of crisis. We had Dr. Stetzer on the show last week, two weeks ago. It was phenomenal. So right. mark your calendars Thursday, May 7th, 11 a.m. Central Standard. We're posting all those links and info on our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Check it out. All right. So as Brian mentioned, this one's out of India. And fingers crossed it's not as bad as yesterday's mother <laughs> and son to buy groceries amid lockdown. He returns with wife. <laughs> okay. Police in India's Uttar Pradesh were left shocked after a mother came to the police station complaining that she had sent her son to go buy groceries, but he returned with his wife. The bizarre incident, Uttar Pradesh's, oh boy, Gaiziabad, the man's mother shocked by her son's sudden and secret wedding and denied him to enter the house when he bought his new, newlywed bride at home. Brought, sorry, brought his newlywed bride at home. <laughs> Not bought. The mother then went to the police complaining about her son. I had sent my son to do the grocery shopping today, but when he returned, he came back with a wife. I'm not ready to accept this this marriage, which is understandable. The wedding took place at an Ara Samaj Mandir in Hardiwad two months ago, and the newlyweds are hoping to get a marriage certificate once the lockdown is lifted. They're a fantastic couple. I love them. That, that's really funny. You don't that's get the those. Story. That's that's. Yeah. I'm starting off with a bang. Now I'm going to Sweden. Uh, Swedish city to dump ton of chicken manure in park to deter visitors. <laughs> Yikes. The university town of Lund in Sweden is to dump a ton of chicken manure in its central park in a bid to deter up to 30,000 residents from gathering there for traditional celebrations to mark Walpurgis night on Thursday. Lund could very well become an epicenter for the spread of the coronavirus on the last night in April. So I think it is a good initiative. The chairman of the local council's environment committee told the newspaper, uh, we get the opportunity to fertilize the lawns and at the same time it will stink. And so it may not be so nice to sit and drink beer in the park, Lundblad said, adding that the only potential drawback was that the smell may not be confined to the park. I mean, yours was noticeably different than mine, right? In terms That's of like, yes. tone and content. All right. Yes. Nevada, Britney Spears reveals she burned down her personal gym. Quote, it was an accident. <laughs> or better yet, oops, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. So Britney Spears has a solid excuse for not hitting the gym recently. That's funny. The quote, lucky songstress took to Instagram on Wednesday to share her workout routine with her followers. But before she got into the exercises, Spears gave a casual update on why she hasn't been to her personal gym in a while. Hey guys, I'm in my gym right now. I haven't been here in a while, like six months, because I burned my gym down, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, I had two candles, and yeah, 
One thing led to another, and I burned it down. <laughs> after explaining that she only has two pieces of exercise equipment left after the fire, Spears started working out with a pair of dumbbells. The pop star gave more details about the fiery accident in her post-caption, quote, It was an accident, but yes, I burnt it down, she wrote. I walked past the door to the gym, and flames, boom. Man, I was so ready with an oops, she did it again joke, and you beat me to it. Oh, that's unfortunate that both of us were really eager to make a Britney Spears joke. (laughs) Not a good sign. Next one's out of England. Parenting robots will feed, teach, and exercise one in three kids by 2050, AI expert claims. Uh, Robots will raise one in three children in the future, as AI expert says. Dr. Michelle Tempest says the droids will feed, exercise, and teach kids. They will also change nappies. I'm assuming that's diapers. And tell stories and artificial and artificial uteruses will develop fetuses? Fotuses? Wow, that just got weird. <laughs> uh, Dr. Tempest says that by 2050, parenting will be, quote, entirely optional. She reckons moms and dads will only see their kids during the holidays. Smart baby monitors already check on a baby's breathing and send alerts uh, when a diaper is wet. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever. You were, you're just bailing on that story, weren't Man, you? Like she goes on to say parents will become as obsolete as floppy disks. I'm going with she's wrong on this. Uh, what was the comparison yesterday to parents in that homeschool article? Uh, powerful people and powerless people. That's right. Authoritarian. That's right. All right. Uh, This was out of California. The feds investigate Harrison Ford. Oh, no. I saw this this morning, yes. You know, sometimes I amaze even myself. Han Solo's iconic line didn't quite apply Friday when Harrison Ford flirted with disaster on a Southern California runway, the Daily News reports. The 77-year-old actor apparently misheard the control tower operator at Hawthorne Airport and crossed a runway in his two-seater rather than wait for another pilot to take off and land. Get across the runway now. I told you to hold short. You need to listen up, the operator says in an audio recording posted by TMZ. Ford was anything but arrogant in his response. Excuse me, sir. I thought exactly the opposite, he says. I'm terribly sorry. Get off my plane. I saw that on Good Morning America this morning. That is like the third or fourth uh, flying mishap he's had in like the last five years. (laughs) Oh, no kidding. Really? But he's Harrison Ford, so. Yeah, he he can do whatever. Get off my plane. Get off my plane. <laughs> well, we're glad you joined us today. We're excited to be together tomorrow on Friday. Uh, but until then, uh, we hope you have a great night. Join us tomorrow from 4 until 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.